0: Welcome to Wonderfully Done, a wholesome show about sex, communication, and loving yourself. You're listening to Lauren, and joined by Vix. we are two queer ladies down in Australia that are passionate about the communication side of sex, dating, relating, communication, and all of the really hard stuff. So, on a standard episode, we like to hear about what's happening in your life, what you're curious about, what you'd love to know more about, and people come to us with questions, with troubles, and asking for advice. But this is one of our special episodes where we interview. And today we are joined by Matix. Matix is an Australian artist who has gorgeous sapphic imaginings that are just brilliant. If you're at a computer, please go and have a look at Matix's art. Vix and I are very happy customers and have been so for years now. So we're just going to sit down and talk about. What is it to be a queer artist on the internet? What is it to share work that gets interpreted sometimes in ways that you wouldn't anticipate or ways that you wouldn't want? But what is it to find joy and expression on the internet in this day and age? So let's sit down, let's get cozy and let's have a chat with Matix. Just to set us off, Matix, I would love to hear more about what has influenced your art and your art
1: style. Immediately, I'm going to think about Klimt and I'm going to think about Mucha and I love them. And what's really exciting about them as well is that, you know, they've really brought in this huge genre of like Art Nouveau that's popular now. And, you know, so I, like I'm studying their pieces and like I'm trying to draw a lot of inspiration from them, but... So many people in the art community, they're also doing that. So you're seeing all these really amazing hot new takes on like, you know, the kiss or um, I know for the Classics That Make It Gay project that I'm part of, one of the artists is doing a really lovely reinterpretation of a Klimt piece and it's just so gorgeous. I think I love them because they really capture a lot of the the essence of like intimacy that I want to bring into my art and they broke a lot of rules when it comes to things like, you know, perspective and realism in their art. The shading and the lighting didn't have to be super realistic or anything. It was just, like, it's what felt good and it felt right. And they were really good at that, you know, like, just intuitively knowing how to shade something to make it really stand and pop out to you. And the gold in so many of, like, Klimt's pieces is just stunning. I didn't um, do much art school or study or anything like that when I was younger so like for me a lot of it is like rough hands-on dive into something and pretend I know what I'm doing kind of thing and then sort of work it out but I, I definitely probably cherry-picked a lot of colour palettes from and <laughs> he's just he's so bright he's so happy it's all gold and copper and these little flowers everywhere it's just so nice. It's really interesting. Like when you're um you're you're part of all these art communities, you have all these different levels of education, like people have gone to school or people have just been bashing around in their backyard and making things and like but I feel like we all kind of get to this point where we all we're speaking the same thing, we just don't have the words for it.
0: And for those listening, Matix's work does have those beautiful touches of gold. The expression. A lot of her art focuses on intimacy, bodies, queer representation. And that is absolutely what grabbed me and Vix by the faces and just said, this is extremely
1: for us.
2: This is like not art related. I wanted to ask you about how you and your wife met.
1: How we met. We, um, we met in high school, actually. So, like, we met in year seven. I was 11. <laughs> and um, I really disliked her upon like first meeting her, I was like, wow, I really cannot stand this person at all. (laughs) Yeah. So like, you know, I had my friends and I think as a younger person, I was probably quite possessive of like my friendships. (laughs) And so like a new face, I was very startled by this new face coming into the friendship group. And she was very loud and energetic and like, really enthusiastic and positive and into some really weird music that I thought was weird at the time. Like she's listening to Muse and Tool and Disturbed and all of that. And I'm like, oh, that's really like wild and out there. Um, And then she kind of wore down on me over the years because she liked me so much.
2: (laughs) What? That's so cute.
1: We, We became good friends, you know, like we were getting along eventually. And I guess after a couple of years, I was like, you know what, I think she's actually really weird in an, an endearing way, in an attractive way. Maybe I like that she's so different to me. And then, like, we were just such really good friends. We're hanging out all the time and everything. And that's when, like, my feelings started to change a little bit. And I was like, actually, I can see how she's quite an attractive person. And for me, like, a question of sexuality has never been a big deal. Like, you know, there's never been any kind of you can't be yourself in my family, so, like... You know, oh, I, I like her. She's a girl, you know, very normal. Um, but it wasn't for her end of things. She had a very, like, you know, religious sort of upbringing and very, um, sort of strict background on that. So she was, um, she was pretty nervous about any kind of, like, developing relationship with me, even if that's what she sort of wanted to do. She didn't really want to, like, do that because she was afraid of how she might be, like, you know, rejected by society or her family. But then, you know, like we were 15 and we, we got together when we were 15. We went to high school dance together and then we were just, we've been together since then. Now we're like nearly 30. <laughs> and um, her family are actually really cool. You know, they're cool about it. They, they came around. They're like, you know, that's fine. We still love you. It's all good. Her, um, her grandparents came to our wedding when we got married a couple of years ago. And that's something that we could have never imagined when we were teenagers, that they came there and they were like we love you unconditionally we love you always and it was just really nice
2: i love this story (laughs) i will watch the shit out of this
1: (laughs) the big glue of how awesome my family is has always been my mom like undeniably it's always been my mom she's so cool she's so wild you know like you couldn't imagine shocking her with anything because Anything you could have ever imagined doing that might be a little bit risque or out there, she'd done it. My mum and my wife, they've always been so close. And when my mum sort of turned 40 and she got into this, like, you know, goth punk revival stage of her life, she started getting all these, like, piercings and getting, like, you know, a dermal piercing and, like, getting all her ears pierced. And it was amazing. But she actually did that with my wife. They would go and they'd go get their nipples pierced together or whatever, and I'd be like at home, like, okay, my wife's gone off with my mom again. They're gonna get their nipples pierced, <laughs> like. So, like that's how my mom was. She was like, you know, she was young. She had me and my brother when she was very young. She was nineteen, so she always said she was really happy she got to grow up as we grew up as well, you know, and made for a lot of really wild times when we were younger and we had a lot of you know struggles early on, but. She just was this wild, amazing woman who was just always so young and so vibrant and she wasn't stomped down by society. She was bisexual. She was proud about it. Her and my dad used to go to like kink parties and stuff when I was younger, you know, they'd leave us with the babysitter and they'd go off and go into these amazing like queer community scenes together. They're always like that. Um, So I couldn't shock her. I was boring compared to my mom. (laughs)
2: I love the thought of um, talking a little bit more about this, this awesome family that you came from where you felt so free to just be yourself.
1: We all liked different things, but we all liked them really aggressively. And like, My mum was like, I really, really like the TV show Home and Away, and that was like the thing that she would watch every single night, and it would drive me crazy. And my dad and my brother, they were like, we're really into cars and stuff. And I was like, oh, that's really good for you guys. You know, you've got your soap operas and you've got your cars. I'm just going to go draw some naked women. <laughs> and I did that really aggressively too. And that was fine. <laughs> so like, I was probably the one in my family who was into the whole art thing, but definitely never without the support of my family
0: Honestly, it means everything to just get to be your weird self and your family's like, hell yeah, be into the thing that you're into. I love it that everybody had their thing and they were respecting it and they were celebrating in it and that you were
1: able to draw naked ladies because look at the gifts that we get now. Well, I can't say actually that I was the only one in my family who was into art because my mom, before she... You know, became a mum and everything. She was she started out her career in graphic design, like back when computers were blocks. And then she got sidetracked. She had kids, so she did other things. I think that's part of the reason she was always so supportive of me going into art, because like it's something that she probably would have done in another lifetime. But she never stopped like doing hobby art at home. Like she did what she wanted to do very passionately. She wrote poetry. She also painted a naked woman actually that was one of the centerpieces of our home was um above her bed in her bedroom she painted this like really kind of erotic scene of like a naked woman climbing a palm tree (laughs) and like i like i remember being like five years old and being like oh yeah mom that's that's very nice that's art and then later growing up and being a lesbian so (laughs) (laughs) like get it mom (laughs) you bisexual creature of the night i love you
0: Oh my God, we absolutely love it. And speaking of creativity and speaking of joy, just taking a slight tonal shift, I wanted to explore how the last year, year and a half has been going for you, how inspiration or how creation Has been going and how you've had the relationship with it through this really hard period of time because it seems like everyone's having a
1: very particular journey with it. It's been hard for me in like very particular ways. Like I've had like a lot of um, illness in my family in the last 12 months. Um, You know, my wife was diagnosed with having Hodgkin's lymphoma. And then about three weeks later, my mum was diagnosed with having pancreatic cancer. There was this really amazing period in the middle of all this COVID where the ACT was this really nice safe bubble. (laughs) And so really fortunately, like I got to spend the last few months with my mum and we got to see a lot of each other and we got to do a lot of really amazing things. We got to see Josh Pike when he came to Canberra. And we got to sit there and sort of hold each other and, you know, listen to this amazing music live. Um, And that's definitely not happening now. We're in, like, really, really hard lockdown now. My mum actually passed away before we went back into this lockdown. She passed away at the end of April. Yeah, we're just so lucky with the timing, I guess. Um, So the last couple of months for me, as things have been in lockdown, like, I've been stuck at home, but I've also been in, like, an interesting period of mourning. Positive, my wife is in remission, which is really just the best possible thing that could have happened. <laughs> Holding on the positives like that while also being stuck home and you're being grateful for everything we have, but mourning my mum. It has been a time where I've actually been able to throw myself really heavily into art <laughs> as a, I guess, a kind of a way to get through this. So I think this particular lockdown would have hit a lot harder if I wasn't already in my own kind of really funky headspace my own sort of grieving. But I guess I have been able to focus on art as a sort of a coping.
0: (laughs) Matix, thank you so much for sharing a little bit about the grief journey. It had honestly been so beautiful seeing the photos shared and the experiences and the presence that you had. And I know we've only got the smallest understanding of your mum, but clearly she was such a special person. And we're so sorry for your loss. And we're also so glad for the news about your wife as well.
1: It's like, it's hard in Australia right now going through this, but look at us, we're having this interview right now. We're in different cities and we're in lockdown, but we're able to talk about this. So really, like, the community, I think, especially, like, in our circles, it hasn't really been snuffed out. Like, we're very clever and we're very creative, so we're going to find ways to keep finding inspiration from each other and keep making things. It's what we like doing. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. I
0: would love to talk a bit more about how being a child of the internet has affected your work or how the internet makes it possible or amplifies you or influences you.
1: I think that's the thing. Like, we couldn't really exist without the internet, right? This, like, global network and this ability to have so many people putting their content out there, it's created this new well of, like, normalizing queer art because... You're not just depending on one network to deign to be so kind as to represent you. Like you're going out there and you're able to represent yourself all the time and see other people who are representing themselves and living their true selves. So I guess the internet has made it possible for people like me to exist on any kind of platform. We all exist because of each other. Um, No one's doing this alone. No one's making art alone. There's certainly a responsibility in that as well, like when you're putting art out there and making something on this global scale, you have to be really aware of where you stand and what you're creating and you have to be receptive to the feedback of that as well because you're not out there trying to hurt anyone. you're out there actually trying to liberate yourself, your narrative, your voice, your community. It's just not possible without the internet and even like in the beginning you know like my journey as an artist started in the dark shadows of deviant art <laughs> and um, like I think deviant art when I first started on it, when I was near a young person, which I'm not now, <laughs> there was queer art and there was queer artists. But I think that there was this really extreme like division between like you'd find queer art, but it would be lurking in the shadows and a lot of it would be very extreme examples of queer art. Or you'd have the other side of that and it would be like really tame, vanilla examples of queer art. And there wasn't a lot of it. You'd have to sort of dig for it. If you saw any kind of queer art, it was like immediately unusual. It wasn't the mainstream, so there was something almost secretive about finding it. That was like the beginning of DeviantArt, but like now it's everywhere, so you don't just have the really obscene and the really tame. You have everything in between. It's a more authentic experience of ourselves.
2: I'm so glad that the idea of having to be hidden continues to fade as these communities sort of like grow and the work spreads and and people see things that make them feel new things or make them feel safe. It's a very exciting time to watch things like this bloom on the internet.
0: Hell yeah. And while there are so many happy queers like us that are jumping up and clapping our hands and just absolutely adoring it. What do we do when our work is reaching the wrong side of the internet, people are taking it the wrong way, negative comments, or, you know, when there's criticism or people being super reactionary to the type of work that you do, Matix, because you have body hair, you have queer bodies, you have big bodies, different bodies, uh, like, how have you experienced that?
1: Like with the sort of nuance of the work, I feel like people in our circles, you and the lovely Vicks would see my work and you'd be like, oh, that's really lovely and that's really near essential and everything. But like through someone else's lens, it could be seen as quite pornographic, quite provocative. And I feel like that really comes down to like this definition of like what is pornographic, what is erotic. And it's really sort of like it's your personal perspective right because this is like within our circles and we're seeing this representation to us we're seeing people who are kissing and it might be two women kissing or queer bodies and we'd be like that's a very sensual sort of scene but if you were a homophobic man the scene of two people kissing you might say that's pornographic (laughs) because like coming down to your personal preference and your own biases and even how comfortable you are with yourself, it really changes how you see what someone's doing. Like, I don't really feel like I create work that isn't, you know, safe for all audiences. (laughs) I feel like a lot of my art, it's very safe for work. I feel very comfortable drawing, you know, queer and nude bodies and I feel comfortable having nude art in my house. That's not a big deal for me. In a situation where I was renting an apartment a couple of years ago (laughs) um, and we had had an inspection, Um, I do remember that the landlord came into the house and was uh, remarkably less impressed by my collection of nude items around the house. (laughs)
0: Oh my God. Well, we've come full circle now and I have got amazing queer matrix art in my house and all of my landscapers and anyone else who comes through the house has just got to love it or leave it.
1: I read something really interesting which was like sort of defining the difference between something that is erotic and something that's pornographic and the idea was that like pornography is designed to sort of like elicit sexual arousal but then like something that's more erotic also with the venn diagram it could like elicit a sexual response as well but it's it's more aiming to sort of like explore the facets of what makes something exciting adding in a venn diagram you could add some you know, a kink element into that as well So my understanding of the definition is that my art can range from sensual to erotic and that the definition of that changes depending on the personal taste of my audience. To some degree, my art is going to range from palatable to profane, depending on someone's personal preferences and biases, how comfortable they are with themselves too. I love the thoughtfulness of that.
0: And then there's people that are consuming work and you're just like, this isn't for you or please moderate your own space or consume what's right for you. But what do we do when we're in the internet era of feedback and how do we measure whether or not that feedback is valid or something we should be taking on or something we should act on or something to purely filter out? It seems like the internet has just sped up the cycles of feedback to be so much faster and more intense than artists in previous generations.
1: I think I've been maybe a little bit more lucky than other artists with negative feedback. I don't know if I'm just really lucky or if people feel that like I can be approached, but a lot of people will sort of, if they see something in my art that's maybe, it's kind of missing the mark a little bit for them. They feel comfortable enough to come to me and say something about it. And like, I really want to be someone who's receptive to that kind of feedback. I am but one woman (laughs) and I am extremely privileged in a lot of ways. I don't have every idea of every nuance when you're putting all this amazing stuff that you're making out into the void. You know, you can't really know every single way that it's going to impact someone. I have negatively attracted the attention of your radical turf feminists before, who have like, they've tried to co opt my art and co opt like me as a sort of figurehead for their movement, which was blah, really gross and awful. I'm a (laughs) mum. I spend a lot of my day trying to like not say the wrong thing. You know, like you have this huge responsibility. As a person to sort of like measure what you're putting out into the world, measure how you're interacting with the world. Like when you're an artist and you're putting art out there, you're putting your own voice out there, your own narrative, what you're creating. And if you're not careful, you could hurt someone with that too, just by having this like glaring oversight of what you think you're saying versus what you're actually saying. My main thing is I always want to take feedback on board. I know that there are going to be artists who are like, you know don't give me feedback on that line that I drew, you know but like everything we're creating it's it is a line. it's like it's what you believe. it's what you are feeling. it's your own truth that you're putting out there. You don't want your own truth as an artist to erase someone else's experience. And th- I guess that's what I'm saying as well when I say that I'm coming from a place of privilege like I'm a white woman. I don't want my privilege as an artist and as someone who has, you know, all these ticks in the boxes of to stamp out someone else's experience. I don't want to say that my truth overrides your truth. We have to be so careful with the language we use. If you're not careful, someone's going to take what they think you're saying and co-opt it for their movement, which is where a lot of the turf stuff came in. Like in the beginning I was I was creating art and I was drawing all kinds of queer bodies. I was bringing trans representation in. But like I was too vague about it. I wasn't strong enough in my stance in what I was trying to represent. And so I did get kind of co-opted by a turf movement really early on. It was really scary. They're very spooky people. They're very they're very aggressive. And they basically were like, you know, matrix is a woman who only supports like our idea of what a woman is and I was like no <laughs> I'm not I want to I want to create something that's going to be for this narrative of you know queer representation that is breaking down the binary of what you think a woman has to be I want to break down this idea of like here, you know, the binary of what a man and a woman is in like this really cis heteronormative society And I want to explore this idea of the masculine woman. I want to bring leg hair in. I want to do all of this. This is like the sort of thing that I'm trying to represent in my art. The feedback on that is that sometimes you're going to have nasty turfs come in and they're going to say, you're saying our truth. And I don't want to say their truth. I want to talk about my wife who has never shaved her leg hair in like her entire life. I want to talk about my mom. And what it's like to be a queer woman who's with a man. This is what I'm trying to represent in my art. And you can't represent all these different truths in your family and the people around you unless you're open to feedback. If you're not willing to have people be able to come to you and say, "I'm not seeing myself," or how you're depicting me is slightly wrong, how are you going to grow as an artist and how are you going to be part of a community if? You're not willing to have this open dialogue with your community, which is your family. You know, it's your extended family. It's my wife and it's my mom and it's going to be my daughter when she is older and she knows more about how she wants to be represented. We're coming into a time with like the internet where so many people are able to get their ideas out there and they're also able to be inspired by the ideas of so many other people. I think as an artist, if you really want to be part of that community and you want to grow and you want to build yourself as a person and your understanding of who you are and where you came from and what you're part of, you have to be open to feedback. You have to be willing to have someone come to you and say, what you did is slightly iffy, I don't really agree with what you did, and you have to be like, you know what, yeah, I'm not going to get defensive, I can see how what I did was wrong. I can see how I just missed the mark just a little bit right now and I'm going to adapt that so I can try and make a space where you're seeing yourself represented as well. Where we're all feeling safe to have this huge discussion on the internet and we have to be safe to have that or else we're going to be pushed back into this closeted idea of DeviantArt 10 years ago where it feels dirty or it feels icky and you don't feel like you have this platform to... Speak your truth and say what you want to say. I think for me as an artist and for just something that anyone interacting on the internet should be open to, it's feedback.
2: Yeah, I feel like feedback gets a really rough go these days, which I, I understand why, because I think, I think there's a, a really common communication skill gap there of people understanding how to give good feedback. And sometimes people think sort of like, I don't know, it kind of feels sometimes like people just go and kind of take a dump. You know, when somebody is coming to you genuinely asking to start a dialogue or bringing a different perspective that you might not have considered, there's all different kinds of feedback that are actually a gift and I think it's it's a really exciting part of the internet being able to be exposed to all of these different ideas and considerations that might not have just have magically manifested in your brain. <laughs>
1: But that's the thing. They said, you know, we we, we said, we want to have more queer representation. We said, we want to see ourselves represented. We want to be part of the mainstream media. And they said, well, fine, go and make it. And so we did. We went and we made it. And as we were getting a foothold in it, we lifted up other creators with us. You know, we all lended each other a voice. We started making it. And then they were like, wait a second, (laughs) what are you doing? (laughs) You mean I have to also, as a human part of this community, now experience your, your truth, your story? I have to be witness to that too? And it's like, yeah, Chad, as we witnessed you for the past, you know, 50 years, you too must witness us and maybe expose your children to that as well so that they can be their true selves.
2: Your feelings are your own to hold. Yes, there's so much for you, you know, like just – and I feel like that's sometimes why the response to things that are other <laughs> still in society, such as queer, Um, I feel like sometimes people inter- interface with that and are like, ah! ah, something that was made not for me, I hate it. Get it away from me.
1: <laughs> well, that's like – um, yeah, and that's the thing. Like that's talking about – you know, the, the male gaze, I guess, and then the female gaze. And then, which I would propose as a third thing, is the queer gaze. Like, the queer gaze and gaze is, um, it's very different to the male gaze or the female gaze in these, like, traditional roles. Because the queer gaze isn't just, you know, what does a man or a woman want? The queer gaze is, let's break down that binary and let's explore what a man and a woman is and what they can be and everything in between that. Like, what what can anyone be? And what's exciting about that? And actually, how much more exciting is it that everyone can be anything? Like, that's the most exciting thing, really.
2: Possibilities are so, uh, at least like as a person, it makes me so excited and it makes me feel alive.
1: And like, that's really exciting. That's Okay, like, an example would be, you know, those, like, fireman calendars that are kind of in the shopping malls, and maybe your mom or your aunt or someone would get the fireman calendar, and it would be these, you know, mostly nude men in kind of provocative poses, maybe with a very engorged fire hose between their legs, or they're holding an axe provocatively, Um, and, you know, like... Even grandma, she could hang that up in her house. That could be in her living room, just the fireman calendar. That's light pornography. That's light pornography, but it's acceptable because it was purchased under the guise of supporting a charity. So as a woman, you could have that light pornography in your home because you have a really high moral ground for why you have it, right? Um, But maybe also, you know, your brother or your cousin who is a male just straight up has titty mags. Um, He doesn't have to have a high moral ground for that. He can just have access to that sort of pornography for no reason, for 50 cents. That's the typical, like, male and female heteronormative gaze, right? Like, when are you allowed to look at these images? When is that acceptable? But then as a queer person, (laughs) you know, what, what are you looking at? What are you curious about? What is exciting, you know, and what virtue virtuous platform do you have to stand on to, as a queer person, be absorbing pornography and observing it or creating it? That's a really hard thing to define right now.
0: Yeah. It's so hard to understand the art porn line as we've chatted about, you know, as we've been speaking, but that's the thing that just gets our goat all the time is how much more over-sexualized or inflamed or reactionary people are to queer bodies, big bodies, the internet being very hostile to that on all of the social media platforms and just over-sexualizing or over-scrutinizing things that are just human experience.
2: Yeah, so over sexualized. That's something that I love about your work is like how how much tenderness is in it. So much of it feels so, so soft in a I like I would love to have more queer art in my life. I feel like there's is there's, there's there's never enough, always always looking for more, but it it really fills this gap that I greatly desire to have filled. In your opinion, like what do you think queer humans are thirsty for in art? Are there any sort of recurrent themes that you see that people are craving from you or things that they respond to particularly well
1: queer people like swords they really like swords you know I don't know if you I'm gonna just plug her right now but um Kristen from Fox Flight Studios did this whole gender armory like enamel pin kickstarter it was wildly successful and she had like all these really amazing ideas like shield sapphic and battle axe by, and like you know it was just gorgeous and amazing and we love this kind of weapons and we love basically retelling all these like canon classical stories. We like to self insert ourselves into these things, right? So we want to see lady knights and they're kissing. I think that's exciting and I don't think that's really too different to any straight woman's collection of romance novels that have slightly steamier covers and it's just pornography light. But It's like it's living this fantasy of a woman having, like, male masculine presence in her life and being, like, her slow undoing. Um, I think queers like to do that too, but we like to do that while also challenging gender roles. As, like, a sapphic woman, what's really exciting for me in a lot of my circles, what's really exciting is the idea of this, like, really strong and, like, masculine and, like, maybe taller kind of woman in your life and maybe she's a bit older and she's a bit scary and that's very exciting and then from like maybe a a cis heteronormative view you might be like well so you just want a man and it's like no 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 i want that But as a woman, I want to break down the definition of what a woman is. I want to re-explore what a woman can be, and that's what I'm attracted to. I I think that's basically what, what queers are sort of searching for. They're searching for redefining what gender is. Like, that's the main thing, right? As a queer human, you're like, what is gender? What can gender be? Who can be what? Let's spice it up and put it in a blender, and that's really exciting."
2: Absolutely, like, it just makes me think of this TikTok trend that I was obsessed with, <laughs> that I'm only interested in masks, sorry, and then there's, like, fem to mask, and I think watching those videos, it was a real kind of, like, realisation that, like, oh, am I actually interested in men, or am I actually just interested in, like, masculine presentations and energy, and I think, I think it's actually just... I'm quite attracted to particularly masculine presentations rather than men who are often aren't kind of giving me what I want. And it's kind of like this wall I keep hitting of like, why? Yeah, I've been hunting and shopping for the wrong thing because I didn't really understand what I was seeking.
0: Yes, put the gender in a blender, put everything on a shelf and try not to go with that compulsory heteronormativity And just try and think, what if there's no rules? What if it doesn't have to mean anything? What if it doesn't have to mean anything bad? And just see where it goes from there. I think a lot of people have done that through lockdown.
1: But, you know, like how many straight women were attracted to David Bowie wearing makeup? You know, and like we all know David Bowie was never straight. (laughs) But the example of like a man wearing makeup it's very exciting to a lot of people who still in every other scenario might be entirely straight but that's the thing that's like makeup doesn't have a gender everyone looks good wearing it and maybe something that would traditionally be quite feminine when put on a man is very exciting men wearing high heels very exciting and that's the thing that's breaking down the binary even if you're not even if it doesn't change how you self identify at all, even if you are cis hat and you identify exactly the same, a woman wearing a suit is exciting to probably everyone.
0: So, when we're talking about being an artist on the internet and having queer content, not explicitly sexual, sensual sometimes, romantic sometimes. I feel like I've seen a lot of artists, even those that are doing quite explicit work, saying, I wish that Twitter had an 18 plus filter, or I wish it was easier for me to try and moderate the audience that was coming here. And I'm just wondering, how do you conceptualize the question of the audience that's seeing your work or children's responses to your work that you know isn't explicitly erotic but a bit sensual and how do
1: you try and sort of carry that as a modern artist it's it's tricky because it like in no way are you trying to take an underage audience and you're trying to shove something that's inappropriate in their faces it's redefining what we think is appropriate to share with like a younger audience and like, when it comes to things like sexuality and exploring your sexuality, like, I feel like it needs to be available in a safe way to younger people who are trying to work out how they feel about themselves and where they fit into like society and community in a way that's not going to harm them. But is also as accessible as your know, more negative ideas are accessible to them. You know, like we have nudity is very accessible to everyone of all ages walking in a, a shopping mall. You have uh your know, boutique lingerie stores and they'll have in their windows these displays of, you know, posters of nudity or people dressed very scantily and um Even in, like, my local shopping mall here, uh, we have Honey Burdette. But, you know, Honey Burdette does have more provocative displays in their posters and their windows. And they'll have scenes that do seem a little bit more homoerotic even, which is kind of like the sort of homoerotic that's sort of directed towards the male gaze, like very exciting for men. That's available to anyone walking by. But the question is is like, is that the kind of narrative you wanna be directing towards children who are sort of working themselves out? Do you wanna say that sex and intimacy and women trying to, you know, sell lingerie and stuff is okay and like being of a certain, I guess, body shape and appearance and what you're wearing is okay to sort of like slam into the faces of children. But then On Instagram, you're saying as well that it's not okay to depict queer bodies in much less provocative poses, just basically existing and exploring themselves. A depiction of two queer people kissing on Instagram should be seen as somehow more provocative than what a child might see walking down a shopping mall. Like, that's kind of what I'm trying to say is, like, how do we define the type of appropriate sexuality that we want to be giving to a younger audience? You know, like, I'm a mum. I have a five-year-old. I would much prefer that she was seeing, as she's growing up, as she's, you know, 10 years old or whatever, seeing my kind of art in a non-sexual setting, of course, rather than seeing um, something that might be really harmful or negative for her own body image in a lingerie store near down the mall. I remember me when I was 11. Like, what was I doing? I was being misinformed by the internet and these, like, really terrible ideas of, like, what a queer person was. And I was a queer person. And so I didn't really know what I was. But what I was finding didn't look very um, safe for me. I feel like a lot of the stuff that I'm creating is a lot safer because I don't feel like I'm creating anything that's, you know, not that there is anything wrong with being fetishy, but like, I don't think I'm creating stuff that is um, fetishy in a way that would be non-consumable for a younger audience. In saying that, I think some of my pieces probably are a little bit more explicit and I would probably put like a little no-go zone on that, but... You know, there's definitely a difference between kissing and intimacy and then like a full-blown sexual act and kissing and intimacy. It isn't inherently sexual. And my child sees, you know, me kissing my wife, you know, like there are queer families. Um, and going back to your friend, I think at any stage during you know, her transition, she should be allowed to be topless at the beach. Like, what is a breast? What is What is a boob? And I think, you know, as queer people, we should be the ones redefining it, really. <laughs> you know, we're queer people. We have queer families. We are, we ha- we are families raising queer children. My family raised me. And um, as an upstanding citizen in society, they raised me with um, open communication, with not creating a taboo of my own body, this, like, open dialogue. It's not going to... Break These children to see a queer body. In fact, it's going to empower them. It's going to say that they are valid and they have every right to exist and that their bodies are not inherently sexual. That's the thing. Like, as soon as you start making it a taboo, you're creating this idea that a queer body is something that should not be seen. It should not exist. It should not be a conversation. And that's exactly the opposite of what we want to be creating. We want to create this like safe space where people are able to grow up and be their true selves and see themselves represented and not have all this gap in their knowledge where they're just filling it with rubbish and misinformed rubbish like stuff that they're getting from someone who has no idea what they're talking about who's never lived that life who doesn't have that experience they say that like the worst thing that happened to like queer communities and queer culture it was aids it was hiv it was losing an entire generation all that knowledge just gone all of these elders to raise us and teach us our paths just gone, eradicated. That's not what we want to be doing now. We want to have open dialogue. We want to be talking about this. We want to have your tits out in public. It doesn't matter who you are or what you're identifying as. There's nothing dirty about a queer body and there is nothing that should be censored about a queer body.
0: So we're running out of time, my sweet bambinos, but we wanted to thank Matex so much for the time and energy. Now, Matex, where can people hop online, follow you on all the socials, check it out, get some prints, maybe get some Christmas ornaments and just have themselves a jolly old time with the gorgeous little supernatural beings and the beautiful domestic,
1: inclusive queer bodies that you create. I have done this incredibly clever thing where i am at Matix on everything so i have that universal little at at on twitter and instagram you can find me on tumblr but it's scarier over there (laughs) i'm very easy to find (laughs)
2: oh i I love the supernatural threads (laughs) and i feel like i would be remiss to not (laughs) say out loud in this episode how much i so adore your your thirsty linoprint peels of your very sensual beautiful art oh why does it feel so thirsty like i can't figure it out but the peel is just so satisfying
1: (laughs) it is thirsty (laughs) It's like seeing something come together and seeing it work like when you get a peel like trust me it is equally as dissatisfying when it's an imperfect peel but when you get like that perfect peel it is so nice it's exciting and are there any special
0: projects coming up or anything that we should keep our eyes peeled for or creators that people should make sure that they're also following that are contemporaries of yours
1: Nothing that I'm not doing as a group at the minute, which I definitely, definitely encourage people to come and support because we're making this for you. You know, we're making queer history for you and queer books for you. At Nova and Mali on Twitter, they are making most of the amazing stuff that's coming out at the minute. They're just like organizing all of it. So they're worth following for future projects as well. Lovely people
0: hell yeah, I'll definitely give them a follow, check out their stuff, because Matix, your taste is immaculate, your artistic vision, beautiful, and you're very, very special to us. So thank you so much for everything that you do.
1: Oh, thank you. (laughs) Y'all are so lovely. (laughs) It's been lovely to talk with you all. I love you guys. You're beautiful.
2: The love is oh so mutual. Yeah, really, really appreciate you sharing yourself with us today and getting to to know you a bit better. Just feel like we're on the friendship road
0: and I love to be here. (laughs) So my guys, gals and non-binary pals, that's about all we have time for you in this episode Thank you again so much, Matix, for the time and the energy. You are top tier, A-grade, queer artist of our hearts. And so listeners, if you're out there, if you've got a burning question, we would love to hear about it. Slippery slide into our DMs with your questions at wonderfully on Twitter or slide an anonymous message over to us at curiouscat.qa forward slash wonderfully done. Our audio mix and mastering for this episode is done by Raf Chavez from Big Mastering. Thanks, Raf. Wonderfully Done can be downloaded wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. And hey, you're doing wonderfully.